This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, I'm back this time with George. Thank you so much for joining us on our, uh, for our final fireside chat for the evening. So George, you work in the pallet space, which, um, you know, is not always the the trendiest topic in supply chain, but we have been seeing a pallet shortage, actually, which I feel like, you know, now suddenly people are chatting pallets. What's been going on? And when do you see any sort of relief in the, in this, in the shortage of pallets? Yeah, uh, very relevant topic for all the industry and our customers. I'm happy to, that you asked that question because I'm sure it's top of mind to a lot of uh, shippers and manufacturers out there and retailers. So, you know, there's a couple of points there, Rachel. Um, when we first saw um, the pandemic hit, we instantly saw a shift of consumption from quick serve restaurant channels and grocers to more traditional grocers. So essentially people stopped going to restaurants because restaurants were closed. Um, then we saw an immediate uptick in volume going through traditional grocers and discount grocers, um, whether it was click and collect at the store, having it delivered directly to your front door, or simply you know, stocking up on staple items at the grocery store. So we saw unprecedented levels of volume as that, as that volume shifted. Then we ran into some labor challenges as an industry, to say the least. Um, and look, we're just as special as everybody else. Uh, we had a ton of labor challenges to solve ourselves. And on top of the labor challenges, we also saw an unprecedented global shortage in raw materials. So I think it's to no surprise and anybody in this room or listening in that we have seen um, um, a shortage in, in availability of lumber coming out of lumber mills. Uh, we saw an uptick in uh, whether it was new construction or renovation in the construction industry. And up until even recently, uh, we're now seeing some geopolitical issues out there that are further potentially going to be impacting the availability of lumber. So when we look at those three, the combination of the three things, so we saw the shift of inventory from quick serve restaurant channels to more of the traditional grocers. And then all of a sudden we hit into panic buying. Mm -hmm. And what we saw come out of panic buying was um, really nobody wanted to be out of stock on key or staple items. Uh, you know, having worked in retail previously, really those top 100 SKUs uh, represent a large portion of the volume and staple stock uh, is really key. If you're not in stock and somebody else has it, guess what, you're losing out on um, a large portion of the basket from, a, from that consumer. So the immediate focus went into in-stock. And what in-stock is, is really increasing inventory levels for key items. Um, this is one of the only times in history that we've actually seen an increase in inventory at both the manufacturers and the retailers. And it really what it was was in response to ensuring that, um, that nobody goes out of stock on those key items. So as a result of the inventory positioning I just described, um, we have not seen as an industry the level of returns as far as pallets are concerned. Because of course, the way that products are made 
distributed, and then uh, ultimately how the pallets get emptied is when the product actually gets sold off of the pallet. Um, and where we are now is we have seen a number of trends um, as an industry. So, you know, really key things to focus on are things that are within our control, which is whenever a pallet becomes empty, a truckload is empty at any one of our end users, um, we immediately go get it. Once we have that truck in our possession, we've put on additional focus. And what I'm speaking about is broadly, I see this happening across um, multiple um, multiple suppliers, not just, not just our company, um, is we put immediate focus on getting that trailer through our operation as fast as possible and getting the finished product um, back through our operation out to customers as fast as possible. So that's one of the things that we've been really focusing on. Um, and second thing I already mentioned about um, making sure that not only collecting the pallet uh, as soon as it becomes available, but working with our retail partners um, on ensuring that they can helping them identify when those pallets are available to come back to us. Um, we've uh, exerted a lot of efforts in asset recovery. We've actually launched uh, an asset recovery fleet to help um, recover these assets and bring them back uh, through our operations and back out to the trade. Uh, so those are some of the things that we've been doing. Um, on the labor side, uh, which, uh, which I've been a direct part of um, in this role at CHAP, has been we've been uh, aggressively growing and investing our automation. Uh, we see the same thing with, with our customers and the industry, generally speaking, is with labor wage rates going up, we see um, really a lot more automation coming down the pipeline. Um, the return on the capital invested is, um, is, is much higher than previously because of increased labor wage rates. And, um, and, and you know, we've been, we've been really spearheading that within our organization. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of the things we've done to solve for labor. Uh, now, the, the tough question is, is the crystal ball of when will the inventory become available for the industry to use again? Well, you know, again, leveraging my previous experience, um, working capital, the, the equation around high inventory costs, um, there will come a point where the high cost of holding the inventory versus uh, focusing it on inventory turns again. Um, as, as, as it appears, we're, we're not having to worry about as, as, uh, as many panic buying moments as perhaps the industry may have predicted previously. Um, that's really going to be the trigger where we're going to see a larger influx of, of reusable pallets come back to the trade. Um, and again, it's anyone's guess when, that, when that'll happen, Rachel. <laughs> How long... So for one... For your traditional wooden pallet, I guess it's it's hard to think about a time, I imagine, where you were calling up retailers and asking, where are the pallets? We need the pallets back. I just That must be such a shift in how, um, in how uh, the industry works. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of the, you know, kind of the container shortage that we saw last year. This sort of previously not so important kind of forgotten part of the supply chain is now suddenly... We need the pallets. We need the containers. Um, how long does it take for your traditional wooden pallet to like how how many how long does it last for? 
Right. So, I mean, it varies based on the use. So in any type of asset-based business, I'm glad you mentioned containers, whether it's a, a trailer um, or a rental car or a pallet, whatever it may be, there's three key contributors, which is, you know, loss, velocity, and damage, right? So how many of them go out to the trade? How many actually come back? Um, how many of them come back damaged? And then how long are they out there? Mm -hmm. Typically what we see in the wooden pallets that we have, it takes us about 10 years to actually replace the components wow. that are on that pallet. So I'm that's sorry. one of the interesting things I guess, <laughs> you know, about pallets is that um, we're, we're able to replace certain components. It's a modular design, You're, you know, a block breaks, a piece of, you know, a, a board breaks. You're able to replace that. Uh, we're seeing some pallets in circulation well over 10 years. Wow, that's I'm very impressed by the longevity of those pallets, honestly. Um, so okay, and you so you mentioned so are, is that the more reusable pallets? Is that the more disposable pallets? You mentioned that there's kind of two right. two types of pallets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's two different models out there for the most part. Um, so the, the 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 company that I work for, Chap, we are in the share and reuse space. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have the privilege of servicing 46 out of the top 50 consumer packaged goods companies, and we operate in over 60 markets. Um, those customers share the same pool of pallets. So you may have um, customer A that produces their product on them, ships them through um, a retailer or a retail chain, they come back to us. Those same pallets quite often don't go back to the same, to the same manufacturer or the same producer. That share and reuse model, along with a density of a network, um, what it allows us to do is it allows us to reduce the length of haul in driving further benefits to better utilize those assets. You know, and I guess that would be the big, um, the big um, thing to discuss in, in, in this relevance is uh, if one thing the pandemic has done is, is expedited a lot of innovation. Well, for, for our industry, it's really been how to do more with less. How to operate as efficiently as possible with even less inventory. Uh, inventory does hide a lot. So in answering your question, so that's the share and reuse model. It's, it's basically a pool of pallets that gets shared and reused. And then you have other, which are make, use, destroy models. So you have one-way shipping uh, pallets that don't get reused as often. Mm -hmm. However, even within that channel, there is a large portion of them that do get recycled. Now, in the share and reuse model, and it's usually uh, different colored pallets, um, what we find where our value proposition is, is that we are able to better maintain those pallets up to a product quality specification and actually use less raw materials to maintain them as opposed to having perhaps a lower quality one-way shipping pallet that has a higher damage rate mm -hmm. um, and uh, may get scrapped uh, quite a bit quicker than, than our pallets. Okay, okay. As a former high school Kroger employee, I'm definitely used to the more uh, disposable type of pallets. That was that's what we used to see in the warehouse back there. But um, with just about four minutes left, I'm I wanted to ask you a little bit more about you were discussing how um, in early COVID you really saw that shift from restaurant to grocery, and you could just see that in the the way that you were consolidating your shipments. And you also mentioned um, when we chatted last week that that shift from restaurant to grocery, you can also see 
um, that same sort of shift and sort of differing consolidation amid uh, financial recessions. What are some other kind of, I guess, secret signs of recessions that you've noticed um, in how you consolidate shipments and how palletization works? Yeah. So uh, being in the industry now for for an extended period of time, I've been through those cycles uh, a number of times now. And, um, you know, again, similarly with COVID, it's interesting. So what we'll, we'll typically see is a shift in consumption where people just don't go to as many events. They don't go to as many um, restaurants. And really, it's that quick serve restaurant channel. That's where we will typically see a shift of volume from there to more people you know, eating at home, having groceries delivered, you know, directly to their homes um, and, and buying in discount grocery chains. So that's, that's by far where we see those indicators when, when that volume um, starts shifting mm-hmm. uh, to keep up with consumption and that change in those, ch- in, in those channels. And I think it's important to know too is, is, is how, um, and, and this is our, our, our customers' data, I should say, uh, prior to saying anything, but um, you know, part of a share and reuse model is that you need to have equal participation um, within the industry. So one of the things that we're, we're privileged to, to, um, to have through, through our customers is the understanding of, you know, where the origin and destination is so that we can then go and collect our assets, especially on the destination side. And that's how we have visibility to, to, the, to the shift between the different channels. And quite often it's reactive, of course. So a lot of the traditional grocers or retailers, you know, a lot of the orders are on auto replenishment, uh, although minimum order quantities have, have, have been very different for the last year and a half. Um, it's typically reactive. We'll see that shift happen after the consumption has already picked up. Mm-hmm. Um, unless there are key promotional periods um, where, you know, we'll get the heads up on the manufacturing side that something may be happening. Typically, it's, uh, it, it's fairly reactive. So those will be some of the indicators that, that we see. Okay, interesting. So that shift from quick service restaurants to groceries. So McDonald's, Wendy's, they're fine. Maybe something like Applebee's. Mm-hmm. Fewer shipments are going to, to a restaurant like Applebee's or um, one of those other sort of quick service places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would also see that in events, for instance. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So a lot less, uh, lot less events happening. And, uh, and really, yeah, it, it, it is the, the larger um, restaurant chains where you would see some of that, some of that shift. Okay. Okay. Well, great. We are just running out of time. Um, George, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Excellent. Thank you.